Welcome to episode 429 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Team, welcome along to episode four two nine of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Bloody good, Bevan. And you, John? It's a committed worker team. You know, he's just got off the plane, straight home yeah. from the airport, straight into the show. Exactly. Gave the wife, wife a kiss on the way past and said, "Honey, back to work." There's things to do. You're not that important right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got an audience to keep happy. Tell us about your flight, just quickly. Uh, just quickly, well, no, I've got to tell you the highlight of my flight. Okay. So um, we had to fly from Calgary to Vancouver. So you were in Philanada? Yep, yep, yep. Philanada, another, another story. He was supposed to be flying at 6.30 in the morning and he, we were about to go for a run and he goes, hmm, why does that say I'm supposed to be on a plane right now? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he spent the whole day sorting his shit out. But anyway, getting on the flight, New Zealand flight back to Auckland. Yep. Yeah, I've got my bloody about four bags. I've got my blue 70 backpack. I've got my laptop bag. I've got a plastic bag full of bloody toys. Shoving them all in the. Uh, in You're the, the guy who takes up the whole compartment. Yeah, that's me. And then uh, put my stuff down. And the guy, so I've got the aisle seat. You've always got to go for the aisle seat. And the guy on the aisle seat across from me um, sort of holds up his phone and says, uh, oh, I'm just listening to you on my, my phone. Really? And the guy was sitting there listening to a Legends of, po- Legends of Triathlon podcast, Nathan, wow. Farmer from, Nathan Farmer from Auckland. Wow. You are famous, Newsom. I know. Unfortunate for him, though. He's like six foot six and uh, had to sit in one of those seats. It was a little less comfy for him than me. Well, I, well, I told you about my Melbourne experience a few weeks ago, didn't I? Mm, yeah. We yep. are true international superstars, John Newsom. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> okay, I'm talking is proudly brought to you by... Coffeesofwhy.com. The world's best coffee. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. John's been killing that stuff recently. And SLS Try. Awesome. Try gear. Okay, guys, this week's show is going to be a little bit different to normal. Again, we're going to be doing some news. Uh, we'll be covering last, or well, we did the discussion about three weeks ago. So discussion in a week we did about three weeks ago. Then the rest of the show will be pretty much based around the Epic Camp stuff. John's going to do a bit of a wrap-up of his camp, and then we're just going to chuck some more interviews in from that, and then we've got a few questions and answers at the end. So first of all, news this week. Well, we now know the official Kona start list, and uh, interesting stuff, Jombo. It is. It's been changing a little bit in the last sort of 24 hours. Old Torsten has been on the case because um, Cam Brown's name was initially on there, and then he's uh, apparently not taken his slot despite... Yeah, the cutoff was the 31st of August, yep. and uh, his name was on the list, and so he actually pulled out. And so by doing so, um, our friend Andreas Raylert has actually made the start list, Ooh. which I think was a re- really looking unlikely. Um, so he's managed to get in there. And also the other one that pulled out was um, – Ah, oh, goodness, Bevan, my prep today is not going to be top. Dirk, 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 Dirk Bockel, Bockel, yeah, hip Dirk injury. Bockel. Yeah. yeah, so um, he was indicating you know, last year that he might not race anyway, but you would have thought coming off the back of his awesome Melbourne performance that he probably would have been there, mm. but injury has robbed him of that. So I guess you know, um, Peter Robinson, as we mentioned last time, he's made the cut, um, but pretty much everybody who's – Anybody is is there? You know, you got Bevan Doherty who managed to to scrape in as well. So um, Peter Robertson is down there as number thirty eight. So I think you know, there's no real 
big surprise. I guess the only one that was well, Ray Lute's a big surprise. Ray Lute, yeah. Ray Lute definitely is. You know that that mixes. I'm sure a few guys would be disappointed he's there. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, he would be the only one that I think outside of, that isn't racing that it could have been a threat. Um, so, and on the girls' side of things, I think most of the the girls have made the cut. You've got Marina Carfrey seeded number one, Rachel Joyce, Meredith Kessler, and this is based off the the KPR. And it goes down in the last couple of qualifiers with Katja Konchak from Germany and Kelly Williamson. Heather Wurtle was down towards the bottom, and Jesse Donovan. So. There's a lot of uh, a lot of talk, Bevan, about the woman wanting to get 50 women there. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens um, as we sort of do the lead into Kona and post Kona to see if they can get equality there and uh, and to, just to see what everybody's opinions are on it. So you know, one thing that uh, Andrew Messick said a few weeks ago when he had that interview, I think it was with uh, Slow Twitch or Triathlon Mag, uh, was that you know if they are going to have even numbers, it wouldn't be 50 for both pros. Do you think that hurts? The pro race, or do you think it doesn't actually matter? If, let's say they go, you know, let's have even numbers, but we're only going thirty-five for both, or let's say forty is a more probably fair number. Do you think that? It just what what um, I mean, what what I think is harsh on the girls is they've got to do a lot more races to get in than the yep. guys. You know, you've basically got to win two iron distance races. Um, whereas I think it's it seems like it's not quite so difficult for the um, for the guys. So I think you know you, you want it to be you want it to be nice and fair. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if going to fifty is the right number, or whether you have some two-year qualifying sort of period so you can sort of build up the points. But you certainly don't want it to be easy. Um, and if you're somebody who's just rocked onto the scene and you win one Ironman race, you know, two months before before Kona, should you be there? I don't know. Maybe it just you know just be patient and um, you know maybe like the ITU system and a lot of the other ranking systems they are for longer than one calendar year, and and that can that that can then also account for you know getting injuries and stuff like that if you're out for a little period of time and injured then you've still got some points on the board so you're not totally screwed whereas um you know someone like uh marino van honek had to you know really panic race towards the end to to make the start line so Mm -hmm. at the moment it does seem pretty harsh for some of the girls um in terms of you win two ironmans and you're still only just on the cusp of uh potentially qualifying so so what's the argument for keeping a heritage let's say we're a little bit sexist here and say okay well actually i think it's really good right now like if we look at the bottom end of the field is that caliber of athlete who's the you know let's say well if i'm looking at torsen's list you know the 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 people i see down the bottom are um, a couple there that are potentially threats you know you've got uh kareen abraham um from who who spanked in melbourne a couple of years ago and then had injury issues so she's managed to to get in um as has jodie swallow but i don't know if there's many girls that actually missed out but you could also say that some of those girls down towards the, the middle or bottom had to do more races so they're not going to arrive in Kona quite so fresh so but that is um, interesting if you look at the girls in comparison to the guys oh no, no that's a bad comment I was going to say that the guys actually there's a few names you don't really know whereas you tend to know all the girls names um, which probably shows that you know the bit more depth in the guys probably brings in a few guys who are that, that next level of weakness into the pro mm. race Mm. So I think um, it's yeah. I think over time the system's going to get itself ironed out. They seem like they are listening a bit. WTCR are listening a bit to what the athletes want, um, but that's not to say the athletes are always a hundred percent correct. Uh, I just think um, this, yeah. I, 
Well, I think it is just a matter of time. It's just when they do it and how they do it is the question. Like, I don't think it's such a big social issue within our sport right now. And, you know, the momentum's definitely pointing towards if they weren't to do it, there'd be, you know, a big upheaval. But the question is how they do it. And, yeah, it'll be really interesting. Uh, by losing 10 of the top, top men out of the race, is that going to hurt the pro race? And, you know, well, let's say, you know, having Andreas Raylert this year is definitely. You I'd know, say it def- definitely would hurt. Yeah, I, so. I would not want to see less than 50 guys there. Um, I, I certainly would not, would not want to see less than that because, yeah, if you did, as you said there, if you chopped out Bevan Doherty and um, and potentially Peter Robertson, who we've talked about, you know, started chopping Even like a Marco guys, Albert, who, who, you know, mixes it up on mm. the bike. You know, these guys here who are a little bit later in the list, but then they're probably not going to get maybe top 10, but, you know, not much higher than that. But they still bring a dynamic to the race, which keeps it really interesting, don't they? Mm. So uh, let's let's watch this space. Okay, John big, big news of the weekend. Big news. ITU update. What is it? ITU update. So the grand finale was in uh, Edmonton. It was literally just down the road from where we were. And it was quite interesting. I was, I was talking to Melina the day before about the, the girls and New Zealand had had a pretty poor Commonwealth Games and we're sort of saying, you know, what about Nikki Samuels? She got a bit shafted there. And Melina's saying, man, that girl should, you know, go and do some ex-terror and halves and she'd just absolutely kill it. She's wasting her time at this, uh, yeah. this short course stuff. And then we're three quarters of the way through the, the final bike ride of Epic Camp and I pulled out the phone and, and had a quick look to see what the deal was and Andrea Hewitt and uh, and Nikki Samuels got second and third yeah, which is an wow. outstanding effort. Uh, they got in a nice breakaway of about 16 athletes and dropped Gwen Jorgensen like a bad habit. She just, she has got some work to do on the bike. If she can learn how to bike, she is going to, I mean, she's almost unbeatable as it is, um, but she gets herself uh, in some tricky p- positions on the bike and got dropped again. So she was a minute uh, minute plus down. And then Nikki and um, Andrea just had sensational runs to take second and third, and Gwen Jorgensen came through, as you would expect, on the run and uh, got uh, first. So awesome racing for our Kiwis. And then some... Again, dominant displays in the boys' race. Alistair Brownlee um, just got in a breakaway with a couple of other guys, put a minute plus into the into the rest of the field, and you know you can't give Alistair Brownlee uh, any sort of head start. And so he he beat the boys home in the boys' race, and the, the Spanish boys came in second, third. So it was some pretty interesting racing. I didn't get to see much of it, but I um, sort of flicked on and off and go Alistair Brownlee just can win any different way he wants to go. There's no chinks in his army yet, are there? You know, like no. it's, 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 I mean, you know, like he's only, what, 26, I think? So, you know, he's still got, a few, you know, there's, there's, we're not seeing that kind of the next generation coming through yet and we're not seeing him fade. So he's, I'm just no. on the, the ITU website right now and there's a photo of him and he looks purely like he's 10 years old. <laughs> like, yeah. It must yeah. be an old photo, but it's, he, seriously, the boy's got no facial hair at all. Yeah. So um, he's just such a dominant character, isn't he? Yes, and then uh, Mario Mola was second. Javier Gomez was uh, in third place. So that's one of the first times I think that Mola has actually beaten Gomez over the Olympic distance um, when they've gone gone head to head. And Jonathan Brownlee was in fourth. So that's the thing. If you took Alistair out of the triathlon, which we don't, you know, the guy's a legend and, and all the rest of it. But geez, it'd be fascinating racing right now, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, it would be. And that's what we had at the start of the season. So that's the end of the ITU sort of World Champion Series. And Gwen Jorgensen was. Uh, was on top clearly Sarah Groff was second and Andrea Hewitt was third Gomez took out the boys title uh, Mola and Jonathan Brownlee in third so big paydays for those guys you know it's good good money on offer on the ITU circuit did um, Andrea have any chance of winning it or was she always going to be run down 
yeah, if you've only got a minute on Jorgensen, she's uh, yeah, yep. she'd have to have a pretty bad run to to not run that down. So, but still great. Uh, I think this performance of the day was Nikki Samuels. I mean, she's not a natural runner, and to guts it out and beat some uh, some very very good girls was was pretty impressive. Well, we also had the high V race on. This is bizarre. Somebody said to me again, we were on the bike. Oh, high V was on, and and I said, what the hell? So that is just ludicrous that you have the. In North America, you have the World Triathlon Series final, and then at the same time, you have the High V Triathlon, which is we go on about you know Bahrain and these races that are coming up and the big money that's on offer. The High V as well, it's uh, you know it's still massive money. It's a hundred thousand dollars for first place, yeah. twenty, fifteen, ten, nine and a half, nine, and still for fifteenth place, Bevan Doherty picked up four and a half thousand dollars. So it's still massive money, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, Hunter Kemper, the ripe old age of flipping about 38. 75. It's 38. 38. And short um, course. Yeah. And, yeah, let's be fair, it's not a, a stellar, stellar field. It's all the non-ITU guys. But Rudy Wilde got second and Brad Carterfelt, they're very solid athletes. So for Hunter Kemper to get up on that, you know, he's he's still got it figured out um, pretty well. We had Greg, Greg Bennett in seventh, and uh, as I said, Cameron Dye was only 12th, Ivan Rana 14th, and Bevan Doherty 15th. So it was no it was no gimme sort of lay down Mazir race. He still had to go out there and earn it. But 100K, that's that's big bickies in triathlon. That's big money. Well, it's a pity it's not it's such a drop-off because second place is only 20, so it's a massive drop-off. But 100K. Kemper, has Kemper ever gone long? Not to, I, I don't ever recall him. I should know this, Bevan. I should yeah, know you this. Should know this. I know. But shut, shut I know he's, and, and he's never gone to an Ironman. I could. I'd pretty much put the house on that. And I don't recall him ever having any impressive results in halves. So whether he's done one or not, I'm not sure. But um, my understanding from him, he's quite a scientific sort of guy and and sort of sticks to what he's good at. So uh, yeah, that was impressive. And on the girls' side of things, uh, Hallie Fredrickson from Denmark took it home. 100 grand again from Alicia Kay and Jody Swallow. So again, uh, Melissa Holscheidt was in fifth and uh, you only had Marinda Carfrey down there in 12th, Liz Blatchford 11th. So, you know, quite a few sort of non drafting specialists and long course athletes there. Mary Beth Allison ninth. But again, Marinda Carfrey, not that she necessarily needs the money like some of the others, but um, $6,000 for 12th place. So, Great money, and, and I hope that race. I mean, I haven't been following the news too closely the last couple of weeks, but I hope that race gets some good coverage because that is it's bloody good for the sport. And just a shame that it's on the same weekend as uh, as the ITU World's grand finale. So I'm on Hunter Keeper's website right now, and it's really funny if you look back to like 2008, he did the uh, the the Olympics, and then kind of didn't have a very good year around that. The next year, 2009, didn't do much, not very good. Won at Alcatraz in 2010, but again, didn't really race much. And then the last few years, he's come back and he's had some really good seasons. And, you know, for mm. a guy who's 38 in short course, and again, he's not, you know, if he were to go to the ITU World Championships, he would have spanked. But yeah. still, you know, it's, it, it's nice to see a guy like him can have a long-lasting career where he can still make a good income. Mm. So, um, as I was saying, pretty stupid to have those two races on the same weekend and really detracts from, from the field at that high V race. Um, but also, the big joke is the ITU World Aquathon Champs. Uh, what a stupid event to keep, they keep persevering with it and they do it on like the Wednesday before the weekend's racing. So, I mean, who in their right mind is going to do it anyway? But, Bevan, you won't know the answer to this, but take a guess how many women they had in the elite, elite women's field. Well, I'm thinking it's pretty poor, so I'm thinking five. 
you're very close. You're a clever man. It was actually four. Wow, really? There may have been five. Maybe somebody didn't finish. It was like bodybuilding. Right. Years ago, I did a bodybuilding competition, as you can tell from my big guns. And uh, bodybuilding is one of those, especially in local regions, which, you know, if you enter, you're pretty much going to get a medal. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and a lot of guys just enter so they can get one medal and say they're a winner. So there you go. Nice. Nice. Uh, we also had Challenge Vici on at the weekend and some uh, fantastic names we're going to completely pronounce incorrectly. Uh, Anjay Vistika took it out at 8.18 from Jens Kaiser and Jose Uland. And then on the girls' side of things, we had Gabriela Zelenka in at 9.14 from Martina Dogna and Eva Potokova. So Challenge Vici and other Challenge News. They've announced the first round of athletes racing for Challenge Bahrain, which we know is our big money race coming up in December. And it is a solid field, but I guess what surprises me a bit is we haven't got really any of the sort of ITU stars in there. So you've got all the people you'd expect who are, who are sort of Challenge supporters, Pete Jacobs, Dirk Bockel, Sebastian Keenley, Timo Brack, Bevan Doherty, James Kanana, Jan Fredino, um, Brad Carter felt so yeah, it's a know, strong field. It's it's no you no doubt about it. It's a strong field, but Mark are Rayleigh. we are we going to see the likes of uh, the Brownleys there or Gomez there or somebody like that? Well, and also uh, the people who don't do well in Kona, the, the top pros who have a bad race, I'm sure they'll jump on this one. Mm, quite yeah, possibly. We'll see a lot of those kind of you know post Kona guys who maybe didn't pull out or, or pulled out or didn't have a great day. But it's a pretty strong field. Definitely, it would be awesome to see some of the faster ITU guys come along. Well, and then on the girls, you've got Miranda Carfrey, Rachel Joyce, Caroline Stephan, Nikki Butterfeld, Leander Kay, Mary Beth, the Gossigenator, Heather Jackson. So, um, yeah, very strong fields. I guess my <laughs> hesitation with this race is if they do stack the field anymore, then it's just going to become a draft fest on the bike and come down to a running race, which, yes, that'll still be extremely exciting. Um, but I guess uh, it'd be, almost be better to have a slightly smaller field um, where we can see a bit of uh, break up on the bike rather than just having a big pack ride, which is uh, is always a worry. And that's why we have drafting races at ITU because uh, it's impossible to break things up on the bike on, on such a short swim and when the bike is not particularly challenging. Now, Challenge by Rain is a half distance. It is, yes. So uh, another email we got here of Jared Warbridge, and he was just saying he sent us through a link to the results of the Midnight Man. Now, it's the race they do in the UK, which starts, I think, about 6 o'clock at night and finishes by 8 the next morning, something like that. It's a really great little race, which was bolstered by having a half and quarter distance race at the same time, with it being dark and multi-laps 20 on the bike for the iron distance. It started to feel quite surreal and a bit dizzy. I'm going to blame the terrible second half of my run and being a bit sleepy. Yeah, so Jared actually finished second there. James Donaldson took it out in 9.46. Jared was about 40 minutes behind, and then another hour back to third place, Paul West. On the girls' side of things, you had uh, Susie Coates in first, um, Jennifer Aykroyd in second, and they did 13.03 and 13.24. And then third on the girls' side, oh, this is a cracking name, uh, Anna <laughs> Diamant. Topolos, I think it is. Nice, I'll give it to you. 13.57, so those guys are going to be finishing in time for breakfast. So John Van Wise is uh, a guy who basically knocked off the women record for the Enduro Man Arc to Arc. So the Enduro Man Arc to Arc is, they run 140Ks, then they swim the channel, which is about 33Ks, and then they ride 290Ks. It's hard to comprehend, isn't it? Well, it's... I could comprehend it a bit better if you went uh, 
swim, bike, run, but yeah. doing a 140, 140k run and then having to swim the channel, that is uh, but you know, trivial. Yeah, that is madness. So good on him. He's, he's you know he's been an accomplished athlete for a, for a long time and comes from a very accomplished family. Um, so impressive I think he broke the record by ten hours. So nice. I think like he absolutely dominated it. So well done. Coming up this weekend, we've got Ironman Wisconsin. Yeah, and all these fields we get these um, for the next few weeks are going to be pretty diluted because everybody's getting ready for Kona. We've also got the Austria Tri, Pottensdorf, the Spirit in Montreal, Rev3 um, in Cedar Point, the Sado International in China and Japan, and the Cologne 226. So probably not going to be too much on the, the pro sort of front coming up. Um, but we do have the 70.3 Worlds coming up as well, but... I haven't had time to do my piece on that, so we'll talk about that next next week. Is so it this I, weekend or next weekend? This weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's in uh, Mont Blanc, and they will have a stellar field there, and it's always good. It'll be interesting to see, um, I suppose everybody would have had to pre-qualify, but some of the guys maybe who did uh, the Worlds in Edmonton might be sticking around for, for another week. So, uh, yeah, we expect to see good, solid racing. Sponsor, Jombo. What have we got rolling up first, Bevan? Yeah, SLS oh, try. SLS. I and tell you what. Custom gear, and I have to say, it's looking pretty awesome. There was a lot of SLS gear going down on the on the camp. SLS socks for Africa. If I, I did every single one of my runs in SLS socks and paid a small price that day because then I didn't have any clean socks for my flight home mm. and got a bit, I had the tights on, but just below the tights got a bit of cankelage going on. So uh, SLS socks are awesome and also had, if you go to slstry.com, they've got this cool sort of new vintage t-shirt. It's got one of those bad boys going on. It meets Bevan's uh, price threshold for t-shirt purchases but yeah the big thing they're pushing at the moment with SLS is custom tri gear um, custom bike gear as well free design premium quality 100% satisfaction and you get a free pair of compression socks or sleeves um, when you do an order so get in touch with them um, contact at slstry.com and if you've got a little group of athletes you can get your own sort of personalised kit made up and look cool and go to the races and dominate the dojo and remember if you're getting anything else off the Remember the promo code IMTALK and you get yourself a nice discount. Well, the cool thing about this LS Try, if you do do the custom gear, is you actually get your free compression socks with it. So mm. there you go. So you can be cool with your team, have your own little cool team that you ride with, get your socks. <laughs> Fashion. Okay, team, we've got discussion of the week. And before we went away, before John went away, I've been here grinding it out every day. We had a discussion of the week around the non sports nutrition that you use when you are training or racing so basically what did people come up with John Burke? Brian Lafer uh, says baby food in the pouches are similar to gels but typically all natural organic and still have 100 calories per pouch that's I actually do a really good idea I've had a few people, um, good old Dave Fish, he has sort of a little apple sauce um, sachets and he, he cranks through the race um, on those. M's Power Cookies, of course, ha- uh, smiley face, both of best worlds of real food and good nutrition too. Cam Brown ate two peanut cookie bombs on his way to winning Ironman Ken's after a life of mainly just jowls. I was a proud cookie mum for sure. Oh, Here's another guess for you, Bevan. Uh, within nine days, how many Ems Power cookies do you think we went through, or Ems Power bars on? Uh, how many on people the were on camp? the camp? How many people were on the camp? I'm going to figure nine, this out. Nine, Nineteen. Nineteen people were on the camp, and how and many we, days? Uh, nine days, and we were telling people to ration themselves a little bit so we didn't run out after two days. 
I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Oh, so you you put a ration on it, did you? I didn't put a ration. I just said, guys, we've only got X amount. So just. I'm thinking nearly nine hundred. Your maths has gone astray somewhere. Oh, okay. Wait a second. Three hundred. <laughs> Three hundred and fifty-five in nine days, and the well, because I, I know when I was on Epic Camp, I was probably trying to put. I was getting close to five a day. Yeah, I think people would have. Some of those Pommy boys who'd heard so much about them on the show, David Rowe and Co., they were just cranking them. Yep. And then, so f- final day, final day, I managed to find, uh, the, the day before the final day, day 11, I find one of M's new cranberry bars in the van underneath oh, some nice. stuff. I think, sweet, here we go. I've got myself a bar for tomorrow. And so get up early have half a bar before going out for a two-hour run. Think, I'm just going to save that little half when I come back. Come back. Gone. Someone, someone had eaten half so, your bar. Yeah. Who was yeah, that? Had, all, had all my slobber and stuff all over it. Went around accusing all my roommates of who the hell stole my bar. And Melina had come in, walked around. <laughs> Who's this? John's. Okay, it's mine now. And just bloody chomped on it. Bastard. Oh, it's the love. Okay, JB McPherson, he's got um, on the Kelp Man, he did, uh, he ate some chicken super noodles. They are probably the best tasting food he has ever had. Aaron Lee, who I met from Speed Theory in um, Vancouver, awesome shop that I've got to give a lot of love to because they were extremely helpful. Uh, she says, Prima bars and boiled pierogies with sea salt on the bike got me through Ironman Canada a few weeks ago, plus McDonald's hamburger and my special needs bag at 90k on the bike. <laughs> Classic. Nice work, Gregory Ashley. He's got uh, current buns, donuts, and sandwiches for me at Ironman Lanza this year. Uh, Luke Goodwin, I put a chick chick fill sandwich in my special bike special needs bag at Ironman Arizona and picked it up at mile 70, 70 or so. It was the best thing I've ever eaten. People were envious. Nice. Good old David Yates. Good. I used lots of different things from fruitcake through to a six mini Snickers bar on the way to a 502 bike split. I've also been known to stop training rides for a large Big Mac meal, salty chips, uh, heaven he's got here. I even tend to use real field over... Uh, is overrated when training, but good for the rest of the time. I see a lot of good uh, thinkerly athletes, and they often shower in over 10% body fat. I eat just about anything, and I'm only 7% body fat at race weight. Tim Ford, I was sick of having an upset stomach on the run, so I started sucking on redskins while riding the bike. Simple sugar and easy to unwrap and eat while riding. Good old. Do you know what redskins are? No, I've never heard of them. Nor do I. What they, what, what's the chewing gum that they have, the red... In America, red Joe got me some a while ago. It was kind of weird know. tasting. Uh, Greg Headley, he's got PB and honey. Uh, what's PB? Was it? Peanut butter. Oh, peanut butter. Okay, peanut butter and honey plus Vegemite and cheese. Vegemite and cheese, Sammy's John. Mm. Can't go wrong with it. And if you really want to take it to the next level, bit of lettuce adds a bit of crisp to it. Cool. You haven't done Graham Laurie, have you? No. Nope. Uh, in my last race, I used pretzel sticks and cherry-flavoured licorice. There was also a cheese and avocado quesadilla in an aid station that was very satisfying. That is very I can't nice. say I've heard of one of them in an aid station before. That's impressive. Um, I'll go Glenn Newbolt. He's got salt vinegar chips to break up the sweet taste of everything else. Man after my own heart. That's, we, we got through a lot of chips on Epic Camp. 
love salt and vinegar chips. If you're in Kona, I can't get outside assistance, but oh, I could always kill a bag of salt and vinegar chips. So, guys, I know there was a few people that did ask for this topic in terms of um, getting some ideas. So, there's there's actually quite a few posts up here. We've only gone through a few of them, but if you are you know looking for some different choices for your race nutrition and outside of uh, sports nutrition, check out that post because um, practice makes perfect. Don't try and um, you know, anything too crazy on race day that you haven't practiced and trained. What, um, what I will ask is what would be your advice? You know, like, because, you know, like, well, I, if you, it is good to have some real food, but also there's obviously foods we don't want to be consuming. So, you know. It, it's, uh, my advice is there's no perfect way and anybody that tells you that there is is, uh, is full of it. you just got to find out what works for you and that's a tricky thing to do sometimes. But I would say what Glenn Newbold said, you know, um, having some forms of normal food to help break up the sweet flat sweet taste is uh, is a nice way to do it so having something in your special needs I think is a really good idea not that you may you may not need it but you know we, we know hundreds of athletes that can go through races on taking 20 gels through the race and they're absolutely fine somebody else who looks exactly the same as them same fitness um, then they have uh, 10 gels and they get through the race. Other people have peanut butter sandwiches all the way through. So there's no absolute right way. But if you ask someone who has struggled with uh, major stomach issues, then it may well be a good idea to try some slightly more normal food on the bike rather than just going for you know, um, the commercial sports nutrition stuff all the way through. Well, I think the other thing as well is that ultimately, you know, it goes back to that thing of being an athlete and your job is to understand yourself. And, you know, we get given a lot lot of guidelines around what we should be doing with nutrition and, and maybe what in doing that we we close off the option of exploring other ways now if you're heading towards a peak race you know trying big new stuff is probably not way to go but in your off season you know to spend some time trying some real nutrition you know stepping away from the, the traditional gels and the, the sports nutrition you may actually discover that you know, it's really beneficial for your training and, and as John was saying I think it is really important that you you know, it's about you learning how your body works. For, you know, for example, myself, I'm really lucky when it comes to nutrition. I can pretty much just eat whatever I want and go out and train and it's not going to affect me. Whereas some people are so vulnerable to, to certain types of food. So really it's that whole, you know, who am I as an athlete and how do I learn to function best and, and be willing to explore that at the right times of your season. So there's some ideas okay so John's come back from Epic and he just wants to show off basically this week no, no I'm happy for you to veto this I couldn't think of anything else but you can you actually can. I did, there might veto this the one John has come up here is what's the hardest day's training you've got no the most epic training day you've done okay well it's similar no epic is not hard what's the difference then well, what's epic the difference? Is, give me the description so I know epic is epic okay and hard so is what Hard is just you do just get regular training, yeah. You know? Go into a hard, hard set of intervals, but epic is epic. Okay, okay. Well, I'm glad you defined that because people would have been very confused. Mm. They've been lost. They probably would have put just like a 5k run in if I'd hit hard. Mm. You know, exactly. it's not epic. It's uh, hard, but it's not epic. Okay, so what what we want to know is what's the most epic session, a session or day? Day. Okay, so you get a 24 hour period. Yes. We're gonna get now. How do we define this? Is it is it time or is it effort? I'll just I'll just make a ruling and we'll just say that's, oh, really? that's, 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 that's it that's the winner that's, that's the winner is there a winner yeah. is yeah yep. okay so you you'll be the winner of the I am talk epic session challenge yep. so go to our Facebook page and I'll have a link on www.iamtalk.me and uh, yep you can go on there and you can put what's been the most epic session you have ever done was it done on this camp John uh, there's a few epic moments yep a few epic moments 
for sure. Okay. Let's talk about coffees of Hawaii. Bevan, did you know that Americans get more antioxidants from coffee than anything else? According to a study done in 2005, nothing else comes close to providing as many antioxidants for coffee. While fruits and vegetables also have tons of antioxidants, the human body... <laughs> Americans don't eat fruits and vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the message? Body. The human body seems to absorb the most from the coffee. So I'm gonna. This is the. This must be true. It's on the Huffington Post, and it's got eleven reasons why you should drink coffee every day. And I'm gonna for the next eleven weeks, gonna be ringing out a fact like that. That you. Can, uh, so this week's one is you can get more antioxidants from anything else during your day. So you start dropping the coffee. Team. That's what you're looking for. I tell you what, there were some unhappy campers on a couple of days because uh, on, on one or two days we just said, look, just, you know, you're in these sort of condo type units and there's little coffee makers there. We just said, look, just have your own coffee in your room. Save, save um, Dave having to get up and make, make coffee for everybody. And there were some unhappy campers because uh, they had this crappy coffee from their room and they just wanted their coffees of Hawaii back pleasantly made by Dave at the appropriate strength six heaped teaspoons heaped spoons of coffee in, in the plunger uh, or not allowed to call it the plunger what do they French call it? Press, French press mm-hmm. the plunger is for doing the toilet and uh, I did manage to block one toilet up on the way through Canada to upset some people but uh, it's not a plunger it's a it's a French press and yeah there was unhappy campers when coffees of Hawaii was not on tap Hmm. Well. So if you want to get some yourself, go to coffeesofhawaii.com. Um, we've got the promo codes on imtalk.me. Get yourself some good taste in coffee, and we're going to be starting the build-up to Kona now. So anybody going to Kona, uh, the coffee boat is going to be out there, and you can get yourself some nice, uh, a nice pick-me-up 500 metres into your training swim. Good times. Okay, guys, Coffees of Hawaii, the world's best coffee. Righto, Jombo, so what we're going to do right now is you're going to give me a bit of a summary of the rest of the camp. So last week we caught you up, I think it was about day eight, and mm. so you probably had about another what, four or five days to go on the camp. So uh, tell us about tell us about the last few days. You did, yeah. That, that was the day we rolled into Jasper, which is a beautiful part of the world. Um, for, Ki- for Kiwis, it's a little bit of a cross between Wanaka and Queenstown, but just mountains all around, absolutely stunning. Um, Got to be a bit careful of the bears, but the schedule for day did nine... Did you see any bears? I did see some bears. Yeah, I saw two bears. Um, now, do, when you get a chance, go on www.imtalk.me and look at the video that I found about a bear chasing some runners. And it's <laughs> seriously scary. Like, seriously. It's the one I put... When we talked about it, I went on and found a good YouTube clip. And it, if you, you're watching it, the, the bear's like right next to these guys. And I just try and, you know, just stay away, stay away. Oh, man, your heart rate's lifting as you watch it. Seriously, go and watch it. It's really good. Nice. So, so day day nine, we we had two days in Jasper. So we arrived, then we had a full day, and then we were leaving the next day. So that was a long run day. And I found on um, some advice of other people a lovely run to do. It was called the Valley of the Valley of the Five Lakes, I think it was called. Um, and it looked on the map like it was going to be about nineteen to twenty k from our accommodation to do the the full loop. And it was a it was a, it was a trail run um, with hills, but not 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 mountains. And I've got to say, it was possibly the least enjoyable uh, run of the camp because I had a hashtag epic explosion mm. and uh, struggled my way through as other people. I will not listen to um, any advice from Phil Patterson. I had my, my sort of water bottle there and I was thinking, oh, this might be a couple of hours. And I thought, oh, I don't really want to carry a water bottle. And Phil said, nah, not, not taking any water. And man, after two hours 45 later, I, I managed to st- stumble into a store and get a big thing of Gatorade. 
I was as dry as a Roman sandal. It was not a happy place. And uh, so a lot of people suffered through that run. It ended up being about 25 k's long and it was hot and it was hilly and it ended up being a bit of a run walk for me because I was absolutely devastated. Uh, And that was following on from uh, a morning of swimming. So we had the local pool booked out 6 o'clock in the morning, all went down to the pool and did the good old 400 IM, which for some people, as you'll hear in some of these interviews coming up, was the hardest thing they did on the camp. Um, it was pretty entertaining. Some people you know, have not ever done butterfly before, but they muscled it out and did uh, the 400 IM. And then we did a 200 kick and a and race and a 50 sprint, and I got cleaned out in all of them. Didn't do particularly well, but I stayed in the pool tacked on for 6k it ended up being a pretty bloody long swim got my bonus sets in there I did a 200 fly that nearly killed me and then did 2100s um, on a set time and then I did the 3000 IM set which is 100 IM 153 repeating that through for um, what is it 12 12 times and when I was you know getting towards the end of a 6k session having to knock out 25s of fly I was getting a little bit over it and I, and I think uh, so it was a 6k swim and I think I did uh, it was either five or 600 metres of butterfly within that swim so I was pretty smoked and then we went out and did that long run um, and then topped the day off with a 60k bike ride which was basically 30k's up a hill and turned around and 30k's back down again nice so that was day nine. Day 10, we went from uh, Jasper to Sunwapta, which on the map is only 55 k's, but we did a uh, KOM up a ski field resort um, that day, which, which ended up making it up to, I think it was 85 or 90 k's. And so we're biking along and we get on this, this highway and then we've got to get off the highway onto a side road. And Melina, you know, he's got, he's got uh, his past glories flashing in front of him and he thinks it's going to be a really good idea to attack before we actually get to the climb, which is, which is fair play to him. Yep. You're allowed to do that, no problem at all. But I'm sitting back at, at mid-pack thinking he, doesn't, he will have not looked at his map he will not have a Garmin with him, and he is going to go straight past the uh, turnoff. And so he was 50 metres off the front, and people were yelling at him, but he had his head down, and he just rode straight past the turnoff <laughs> for the climb. And, and so we all went charging up the climb. It was a brilliant climb. It was up the Marmot. Uh, so where is he going? Who was telling him he's gone the wrong way? No, well, there was nobody there. You know, it was pretty clear. So wait a second. So, so who went and picked him up? Oh, so he was he was still going in the right direction, and he ended up going up a different mountain that we were planning on going up, but it, the road was actually closed. So I don't know when the penny dropped for him, but we all saw him go off. We yelled out, but he missed a turn, and so the rest of us battled it out up the climb. So wait, did he think he got? Did he get to the top of some random hill and think he'd won? Uh, yeah, I think it took him a while before he realised because he, he would have thought he had a nice big lead. So I, I didn't actually end up talking to him about it because I know everybody had. Uh, but yeah, he's just, I knew he was going to do it. So anyway, we had a great KOM up there and then rode down to Sunwapta Falls, which was just an awesome place to be. Just a massive big mountain of water coming through, just a bit of a crevasse. It was just um, awesome. And then our Big day was uh, biking from Sunwapta Falls to Lake Louise, which was going to be one of the Queen stages. You go through the Icefields Parkway, and 
pre- in the morning we got up, had an ice cold swim in a lake called Honeymoon Lake, and then it was going to be, I think it was about 180Ks through to Lake Louise, going over two passes and some of the most spectacular scenery anywhere in the world. Only problem was it was raining and my Garmin told me the average temperature for the entire ride was six degrees with a low of four uh, and it rained for most of the ride and it was bloody freezing. So there was not a lot of sightseeing done on that ride. It was just head down, bum up and get to Lake Louise. And thankfully, just as we arrived, the sun sort of started to come out. But that was a pretty epic day. Um, The support crew had to go and get some soup and there was some people that were yeah, mildly hypothermic. Um, So that was a pretty rough day at the office. Lake Louise, beautiful, beautiful place, more mountains everywhere. The next day um, was the highlight for, for quite a few people on the camp. We biked 15 k's up a hill towards Lake Moraine, um, or Moraine, I'm not sure how the pronunciation goes, and then we did a, a sort of a run slash hike up to the Sentinel Pass, and when we were biking up, it was a cloudy, pretty crappy day, just a light bit of drizzle coming on, as we started running, we was just basically run, run walking all the way up a climb, we actually got through the cloud, and just the most stunning views you could ever imagine, just mountains all around There's, there's you. photos on um, Facebook, aren't there? Yeah, yeah and cool. it was just a brilliant, brilliant run. So it was only, um, I think the Garmin's weren't getting it very long at all, but the track said it was 6.9 k's long to get to the turnaround point at the top of the pass, and that was 720 metres of elevation gain. So you can do the maths. It was pretty bloody steep, and that took us up to, I think, about 2,800 or 2,900 metres. So not only was it steep, but you were sucking in some uh, some pretty thin air up there. So just a spectacular, spectacular run. Came down, did a little tack on bike ride. Some people tacked on more than others. And then the final day, um, I went out for a two-hour run, um, a nice and early first thing, up again to Lake Louise and to a lake called Lake Agnes. It was spectacular. Nobody around at 6 o'clock in the morning, so it was brilliant. Did that with a fillinator and, uh, and Rob from Australia, Rob Hill. And then the final day was a 200k ride into Calgary, and um, I sort of made my intentions clear. I said we wanted an honest ride, so after 5k's, I got on the front, and did about a about a 40k pull um, at a pretty pretty solid little pace, and then we got onto a bit of a highway, and then it was fun and games, um, just banking it all the way to Calgary and it took us to do 150 k's I think the guys we came through in around about 3 hours 52 minutes so at that point I think our average speed was about 39 kilometers per hour so it was uh, not mucking around it was a bit of downhill and we did have a little bit of tailwind but there was still um, some good periods of pace it was all on good times so all together in the camp what did you end up doing so I think my first six days I clocked up 36 and a half hours and the second six days was about 38 and a half. So, you know, it was uh, over, definitely over 70 hours. And what you've got to remember with this, it's that's actual moving time. You know, back in the old days when we did other epic camps, we probably had bigger numbers than that. But this is actual moving time. It's not, you know, when we do a bike ride that's 200 Ks, you know, my clock stops every time I stop it stops yep. so you don't have all that you know a six hour ride can easily turn into an eight hour ride if you have your you know just a running the whole time yeah. yep. so it was uh, it was big it was so wait, who know, took out the jerseys Adam Bardsley, who you affectionately know him as Adrian Bardsley, um, when you gave him Age Grouper of the Week, there was a fair old battle um, in the last couple of days for that yellow jersey. It was getting pretty intense between uh, the two Adams, um, Adam Bardsley and Adam Kay, who is the young fella on the camp, and 
yeah, Adam Bardsley had to get up at 4.30 on the last day to defend his title. Wow. Um, because Would it be the quite, closest ever? Uh, yeah, it was It was pretty pretty full on. <laughs> yeah, so it was a la a sort of Mike Montgomery-Gordo battle, and it was, uh, yeah, it was getting a little bit intense there towards the end. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just have a hug. Let's yeah. Let's just have a hug. So it was an absolutely fantastic camp, though. And Wait, who did- took at KOM? KOM, Zach Polman just crushed everybody. He had, uh, I think we had six KOMs, um, and he had six from six, nice. and in dominant fashion. And do you still do the, the old buggers jersey? We did. Good old Lou took that out. Oh, uh, was Lou on the camp? Yeah, Lou was on the camp, and he took that out. Lou Di Giuseppe, have he I, took... Have I told you my Lou story? I think you have, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Lou spanked it all, and he just kept trucking, did lots of tack-ons. He did in a hotel pool in Lake Louise. There was no swimming options there, but they had a 15-meter pool, and he got in that 15-meter pool and swam for an hour. Oh, uh, so he 15-meter pool for an hour. Yeah. He uh, and he did three k in there. Um, so yeah, there's some pretty crazy things going on. But it was one of the one of the best epic camps I've been involved in, and on many fronts in terms of the scenery and the riding was just out of this world. Um, and you know we had always have a few dramas with the support in terms of you know we got couldn't get a. a one of our vans down one of the roads because we didn't have a permit and there's always a few dramas but all in all it was uh, it was a pretty spectacular camp so the question I have is um, where is the ne- are you doing in New Zealand again? don't have any plans to New Zealand so France is going to be the next big kahuna in 2016 and we've already got a big number of people who are interested on that camp if you uh, want to get on that uh, I strongly suggest you email me sooner rather than later because I'll be getting that all set up before Christmas time and it'll be the first uh, 20 odd people that sign up will be in and when is it? 2016, middle of 2016. Oh, I guess okay. Well, mm. okay. So we have the Kona. The Kona camp will keep going every year. The Kona Light Camp, which is open for a wider um, uh, breadth of athletes, of athletes. Yep. and but then the the big Kahuna Epic camps will probably be every two or three years. So uh, yeah, it's looking forward to the next one. But that last one was pretty spectacular. Okay, guys, so what we're going to do right now is John was doing some interviewing over the camp, so I'm going to chuck a few interviews on, and uh, we'll be back later on. Here we go. Righto, uh, we're all starting to get a bit tired, it's only day two. Um, one man who has spent more time off the back of a pack at Epic Camp than anybody I even know, but hangs in there every day is Lou. Do you want to say hello to Bevan, Lou? Hey Bevan, how you doing buddy? Miss ya. So, day one, we I'll get a few updates from a few of the other athletes shortly, was uh, riding from Vancouver to Calgary. It was pretty solid, uh, and we had a swim and a run, a few tack-ons, Lou, you spent a bit of solo time on day one. I did. As soon as we hit the uh, Sea to Sky Highway, the whole group took off, and I knew I was in the place where I always am, off the back and riding solo. Um, and when I when I was coming into Whistler, I, I looked down at my Garmin, and the screen was blank, and I'm like, well, I'll be able to find the hotel. And I ended up riding an extra about 18 kilometers, went down past through Whistler and had to turn around and come back, and I was just totally smashed. You, you were pretty happy about that. I wasn't. I wasn't that happy last night. I was. I was. I was uh, a little teed off and uh, a little short tempered, but I recovered, so I'm fine. <laughs> so, so Lou's um, sitting off the back yesterday, sandbagging. So he's going to be going to be there for the rest of the camp. And today we had what was the, without doubt, the toughest climb. Well, 
it may not be without doubt, but uh, according to all my GPS files, it's probably going to be the toughest toughest climb we had. It was called uh, Duffy Lake Road. I don't know if the mountain actually had a name, but it was uh, around about 13 kilometres long and had about a thousand metres of elevation gain. Uh, it was pretty toasty and so we started off at the bottom and everything's sort of starting to split up and people are setting in, settling in, some are going a bit quicker, some are going a bit slower and I'm sort of settling in and then somebody pedals past me like I'm standing still and he's out for a, just a Sunday afternoon spin, his legs turning over at about 100 RPM and Lou just smokes off into the distance. Tell us about this. Well, you know, I, I always... Uh, try to find uh, some some time in the camp where I can you know um, use my strengths and I, I always consider myself a fair climber not a great climber but a fair climber and so uh, anytime there's a KOM I, I think that that's an opportunity for me to um, at least get get a point here or there an extra point um, and so I think I think I have the, the you know the good power to weight ratio, and um, so I just worked my way up, and it was fun. I just you know moved from person to person and went for the next person and the next person, and I think I ended up. Uh, it was uh, Bevan. It was the uh, hardest climb I have ever ever done, and uh, haven't haven't been to uh, Italy or France, but I, I am assuming this was kind of like that. I just, I could not, I just, it hurt so much. And it was an hour, for me, it was an hour and, and uh, three minutes. And um, I averaged uh, three, uh, 303 watts for that hour and three minutes. So crazy. And what do you weigh? I weigh 150 pounds. So I think that's 68 kilo, right? Right. Yeah. And so, how did you pace yourself up? Did you keep an even power all the way up? I did. Yes, I did. I, um, my, you know, I, I tested my, I tested uh, FT, my functional threshold power a few weeks ago, and I was, um, I was at two sixty five. So I, I knew, and that's that's, uh, you know, with CompuTrainer and uh, a, a very, you know, considered a flat course. I, I test on a flat course, so. Um, I knew that uh, I could I could add a few watts to that because of the grade, and so I, I thought that 300 was equivalent. So I kind of just stayed between 295 and 320 the whole way. You know, there were some bumps that made me go higher, but I really tried to just stay around 300. It was hard to do though. By by the last 10 minutes, I was I was smoked, and then uh, uh, Shannon went by me like I was standing still, and she's smiling. Hey, Louie. <laughs> what annoyed me the most is I was she was riding with me. And she pulls a camera out and takes a bloody photo. Right, right. And she comes by with this smile and waves. And, and it, this is at nearly the end. And I just was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so it was crazy. So you've done a couple of camps now. You did New Zealand, um, I think, a couple of times. Um, what is it all about for you coming back? Well, I... <sighs> I thought I had one more in me, and I just turned 50 this year, and I just kind of wanted to give myself a, a, a birthday present. I just love the whole atmosphere of Epic Camp. I just uh, I love the friendly competition. I love meeting new athletes. I love meet you know hanging with these these top age groupers, and I love seeing old friends like Douglas Scott and Mark Petrofessa, and of course Scott Molina. And of course, John. So it's just it's just great. I love the camaraderie. Um, I love the competition. I love really pushing myself. And um, I probably will never do another Ironman, but I I just love I love this atmosphere. So. And in, in, ter in terms of your ability, um, so the listeners can sort of get a grasp of uh, what sort of speed you are. 
what do you mean? In, in terms of, uh, you know, if you were, with your current fitness, if you were to go out and do an Ironman, um, you know, roughly ballpark, what do you think you'd be doing? I would think I'd be between probably 10, 30, and 11 hours, I think. That's my fitness. Um, right now, I just, uh, in in the winter, I, I went down to Chile and did Pucon, and uh, I did a 436 there, so, and won the age group, so... Um, you know, I, I, I prefer the halves. The halves feel like full Ironmans to me now. So um, I do like the half Ironmans. I like that distance. Uh, it, I, I have probably one more Ironman in me. I just don't know if I could when and where. I'm just, you know, it would probably be some big race somewhere like Frankfurt or Auckland or something like that, but I don't know yet. Oh, it's always fun having you here, Lou, and um, we will maybe catch up with you later in the camp. Thanks, John. It's been it's been a blast so far. I don't know if I can make it ten more days, but I'll try. <laughs> okay, we haven't done much for a few days, but today we've completed day five. Uh, so we're going to catch up with some interviews now with people that have uh, experienced the first part of the camp, and it's been good. Scott and I and David Rowe are sitting here looking out over Dutch Lake in a place called Clearwater, BC. Is, is that one of still swimming out there? I'm, I think it is. Uh, there's a big competition on for the yellow jersey, and I'll talk to those guys a little bit later on, but I've got Scott Molina with me here. So welcome along, Scott. How's the camp going for you? It's been wonderful. I keep thinking that we're going to arrive at this lake that is going to be freezing cold, and we won't be able to swim very far. And each lake that we get to, it just seems to get better and better and better. This one is so warm. I just can't believe it. So what, um, what was your expectations coming into the camp and personal goals or anything like that for this camp? Um, two things. One, I, I want to get camp completion. That's always been my goal is to, is to not only set up the camp that it's, it's challenging but possible, but, um, but I'm, I'm trying to always be healthy enough to you know, get, th get through the whole camp. And... Um, not being able to run at a couple of the camps over the years has been really, really frustrating. So, and I've been, I've been, I haven't had a really severe running injury in in three years. So, so I thought I, you know, it's reasonable that I could get camp completion. And so that's that's still the goal. And you've obviously done plenty of camps now. I mean, how does this one stack up five days in compared to what we've done in the past? Well, the I think the mountain camps that we've done, Colorado, France, a couple of them there, you know, um, with so much climbing. Um, right from day one, have have made it really, really challenging to just get camp completion. You know, just to get all over all the mountains that we had on those camps. You know, was really, really difficult. Um, this time, it's uh, uh, so far. You know, we've only had one monster climb, and it's. I think it's allowed a couple of the stronger cyclists who are maybe not great mountain climbers, but you know, to to sit at the front. You know, we don't we don't have a Gordo or a Klaus or a Bjorn to pull us around, um, so it's it's been really nice to have, um, you know, a lot of the camp campers be strong enough to take pulls at the front and uh, and enjoy doing it. Um, we have still got a few big days in front of us. Today was 190k on the bike, which was our longest in duration so far. But we've got uh, a shorter day, a slightly shorter day tomorrow. Then. 210k the next day and we've got a couple of other biggies after that where we have got the mountain climbs coming up so we've softened people's legs up with a bit more racing before we hit the mountains what do you what do you sort of think we're going to hit with those climbs 
Well, uh, there's there's some good climbers here. Obviously, Zach and 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 young Adam Ski, uh, the Stanford Stanford grad, um, you know, are good good climbers, and um, so I think there will be, the, you know, uh, s some some guys going for the polka dot jersey there, that which is which is always good, um, you know, and those climbs when you're really really tired, you know, is it, are are totally different than when you hit them fresh and so i don't you know i've never done those i don't know what they're i don't really i don't really know what's coming up so i'm just gonna just gonna try and play it conservative and not attack them and and uh like i have in the past because i don't have the ability to do that right now and just and hope hopefully you know cumulatively they don't kill me oh well five days down seven to go so far so good so we'll uh, catch up with a few more people thanks scott way to go way to go Okay, so we're walking back from day five dinner, and I'm walking and talking with Adrian, who's going to tell us his, firstly his uh, age grouper of the week story before we go. And Bevan's actually not going to be listening to this, so we can say it's all Bevan's fault and Bevan's at all. But uh, tell us your, your age group of the week story. Well, there was an email sent in by Gary after I qualified in Frankfurt. There was various different things that went on um, in the in the lead up. Uh, Gary wrote the email, I lived through it, neither of us are really sure whether I qualified because uh, Bevan made such a dog's breakfast of reading out the email. <laughs> so uh, tell us your, your name, where you're from and uh, what you actually did. Uh, Adam Bardsley, I'm from the UK and qualified for Kona for the first time in Frankfurt back in July. Very nice and today you've uh, put yourself into yellow by 0.3 of a point. Uh, so today Adam and Phil were going head to head and he managed to go out for a two hour run then we had a 190 kilometre bike ride and then he managed to tack on 6k swim uh, and he also tacked on 30k's of riding to get some bonus points so how are you feeling after that? Yeah it's a fairly solid day I guess at the office um, wasn't feeling too flash when I got off the bike the 12 hour rule nearly scuppered me uh, straight off the bike, straight into the wetsuit, straight into the lake. Uh, but the lake was good. Nice and warm, nice and calm. So just rolled it out, knocked the 6K out. Lifelong dream achieved? Absolutely. Bigger, <laughs> bigger than Kona. Bigger than Kona. And now it's always easier to defend. Is that going to be your strategy? Because once you're in front, the other person's always got to do more. So uh, how seriously are you going to take your defense? I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I've got it. I'm wearing it. Someone else can have it. That's all I wanted. It's, uh, we're f so Phil was in, in the uh, yellow jersey today, and prior to coming to the camp, he had said, yeah, I'm just doing the camp minimums. Yep, that's it, just camp minimums for me. And that lasted about six hours. Um, so we'll see how good to your word you are tomorrow, and uh, well done getting the yellow. Thanks very much. Okay, so Epic Camp is over. We finished about... Maybe about 15 hours ago, and everybody's uh, packing up, done their double breakfast. I managed to have uh, six sausages, along with a double serving of bacon, eggs, etc. And I've got sitting with me um, Aussie Rob Hill. Maybe, Rob, if you can just tell us a bit about uh, where you're from and also your ability based off your stellar recent performance. Uh, yeah, I don't like talking myself up, John, but uh, ability. Uh yeah, it's um, it's taken a while for me. Um, yeah, I'm I'm someone that got into the sport uh, at a pretty advanced uh, age. Did no exercise at all really till I was 30, and then um, 
yeah, decided to start running around the block for some strange reason and um, after a year or so I realised uh, once I started running with other people I was uh, a, you know, a reasonably good runner. But um, yeah, the Ironman bug uh, yeah, tends to grab hold of a lot of us and um, after my first triathlon in, in 97 uh, I just loved the sport and, um, and did my first Ironman in 2000. Um, I, I suppose a lot of guys these days, their first triathlon is an Ironman, but uh, you know, us older school guys, you know, it was a couple of years or three years of, of going through the, the, um, the, the grades of the smaller distances and, and then um, looking for the next challenge, which uh, for me was the, the first ever Shepherd and half Ironman in, in 98, so I thought oh, I'll step up to the half distance. I thought it was pretty cool because it had Ironman in the name, even if it was a half. And, uh, and then, um, yeah, two years later, stepping up to the, the full distance. Uh, in Australia, it was really good back then because you had to qualify to get in the Australian Ironman. So you had to finish sort of the top maybe 20% of your age group in a half and then you'd qualify for what was in the Foster Australian Ironman. So that was... Uh, that was my uh, first taste of Ironman racing, and um, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty much the end of my life as I knew it. So, you this is your second dip at camp. Um, how did you find out about it, and uh, maybe talk us through your, your first one, and then how that compares to to this camp? Yeah, John. Um, yeah, the 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 first dip at camp I did was uh, the big one, the length of New Zealand over 15 days. I think we did, and. Um, uh, a mate of mine, Pete Hancock, had, uh, had done the Australian uh, Epic Camp um, a couple of years earlier and I remember thinking about it and uh, put it out of my mind and then he just raved and raved about it. Uh, I think shortly after the Epic Camp, distances dropped to, from about 12 days to 8 days and I thought, well, I can't do one now because if I do it, he'll just say, oh, it's not a proper Epic Camp, it wasn't 12 days. As soon as I heard about this 15-day length in New Zealand, I, I signed up pretty much immediately and... Uh, and just had a ball. It was definitely the biggest challenge, you know, physical challenge of my life. And um, I met some great people and, uh, you know, with yourself and Scott Molina and, and Gordo back then running the show, it was a very smooth operation. Everything was done for us. And, you know, when, th when that happens, it's just unbelievable how much you can actually train over that period and just keep it rolling. Um, so I thought that would be a, a one-off experience for me. And uh, uh, I bumped into a, a mate, a, a famous epic camper called Mark Petrofiesa at, uh, at Kona a couple of years ago, and he said, uh, have you heard about the uh, Canadian Rockies epic camp being planned for 2014? And I said, I actually, uh, I did see an email about it. And he said, oh, you've got to do it. And uh, that got me thinking that maybe I, I do have to come back for a, a second taste of epic camp, and uh, so glad I did. Um, so you had a bit of a breakthrough this year in terms of uh, spanking, I think, if you won your age group in Melbourne, and did you go sub nine? No. No. <laughs> yeah, look, um, I, uh, I had a really good race at Kona last year, and um, uh, a lot of us in Ironman, you know, sub, sub ten is a bit of a goal, a bit like a sub three hour marathon, I suppose, and, and I, I'd achieved that a few times at Port Macquarie, but... Uh, I had never, um, never sort of got close really. Well, I got close. I got yeah within ten minutes of it at Kona, but uh, it, it's that much uh, more of a challenge, I suppose, with the heat and humidity. And 
the toughness of the, the, the Kona event. But uh, yeah, I ended up cracking it last year with a with a, a decent sub 10 time and just felt like I'd really perhaps gone up that next level that we always hope that, that we will and uh, you never know if it's a one-off. And I walked up at Melbourne feeling really good and uh, had a good preparation for Melbourne and I was second in the age group last year and I thought how cool would it be to, you know, being a Melbourne boy to race your hometown Ironman and actually take out the Asia Pacific title for your age group. So. I was definitely not going to be happy with second again this year and um, and I, I really used that to drive me to what uh, perhaps was my, my perfect race after uh, way too many Ironman races, finally having that day where every single uh, part of it went really well and um, yeah, didn't quite crack the sub nine which uh, might be a, an opportunity uh, lost forever but uh, yeah, low nine, 9.06 I went and uh, and I, I passed the guy who'd been leading my age group the whole day with two k's to go of the marathon. So uh, uh, I, I had a, a really good run and um, I needed to or I wouldn't have caught him. And uh, yeah, so very happy with that result. And um, uh, it took me quite a bit to recover from it. I think once you have that real breakthrough performance and push your body that hard to get that sort of result, it does take a, a, a fair bit out of you. So I... Um, I took a while to recover and uh, suddenly uh, Epic Camp Canada was uh, looming fast on the horizon so certainly came into this camp a bit underdone um, but that was a bit of a plan because we're kind of coming up. I, I didn't want to be uh, you know, fading towards the end and feeling like I, I might be burnt out for, for the big race in October. So on paper, you're one of the faster athletes on the camp this year. You know, there was myself, the Philinator, who was sort of that nine-hour level and, and in yourself... Um, and you came into the camp with a bit of an injury, then you uh, managed to develop some uh, undercarriage issues as well. Um, and so maybe talk us through what was your strategy for the camp and how that sort of unfolded. Uh, mate, uh, undercarriage issues, they actually kicked in uh, a week before the camp. Um, we've had a pretty wet winter in Melbourne and um, uh, of all the things you don't want to be going into a 12-day Epic camp is with saddle sores and um, so I've rocked up at Vancouver to start the camp feeling a bit uncomfortable downstairs and thinking how am I going to survive this so uh, yeah look it was um, a, a little bit daunting I, I had a hamstring strain as well so I couldn't run for eight days before the camp started but um, I just I just had to play it pretty conservatively and um, and yeah you've got to put your ego on hold I suppose it's you don't roll up to these sort of things and you know, thump your chest about how good an athlete you are because the camp is full of good athletes and guys that can smash it day after day a lot better than I can. I was very much sort of playing it by ear and um, you know, just seeing how the body responded, certainly hoping that the hamstring would hold up and, um, and then, uh, yeah, certainly hoping that the undercarriage would hold up as well over the 1,500-odd uh, kilometres we've done in the last 12 days. But... Uh, yeah, there's, there's some wonder, wonderful uh, treatments available and uh, I was rubbing those in uh, numerous times a day and uh, yeah, I uh, managed to get through it okay. Nice. And so for you, um, you know, um, I would have probably said this 10 times by the time this podcast is over, how spectacular the scenery was that we were going and how, you know, 90, probably 97% of the roads we were on were just brilliant. Um, for you, you know, what were the, some of the key highlights? 
yeah, look, it was, uh, I was speaking to someone at breakfast this morning um, from the camp and just saying that you almost had to forget about each day's highlights to make room for the next days because it was just spectacular. Even the first day riding from Vancouver to Whistler was um, some awesome scenery and it just kept getting better. Um, I don't know, I think, uh, yeah, we, we did a run up to Sentinel Pass um, from Lake Louise uh, a couple of days ago and that was... Uh, I think it was close to 2,700 metres uh, altitude up the top there. Uh, I call it a run, but it was more hiking uh, up there for an hour or so and, and a very fast run back. But uh, that sort of uh, alpine above treeline type of uh, technical trail running, I just love. Haven't done a lot of it, um, but uh, it, it just uh, blew my mind getting up there and the views and, and just that sort of terrain. So that was definitely a highlight, but... I mean, some awesome highlights on the bike as well. Um, yeah, just uh, the amount of picturesque lakes and magnificent mountain backdrops. And uh, I mean, it's just every single day it was something special. And, uh, and to just uh, flog yourself, uh, swim bike running through that sort of terrain was, uh, hey, it was pretty special. It got pretty testy on the last day as well in terms of the uh, the pace. I guess a lot of people might be wondering, you know, a guy like you who started a bit later on in life in terms of uh, getting into triathlon, what do you think? You know, you said you had sort of a bit of a breakthrough in Kona, a bit of a breakthrough in Melbourne. What do you think was the difference for you? Um, look, it's, I don't know, I, I, I turned 50 in a, a couple of months and... Um, I got into the sport, yeah, I would have been you know, 35 when I did my first Ironman and, and back then to think that 15 years later I'd be smashing all previous results that I'd achieved, I didn't think it was possible. I, I just assumed that you know, maybe five years, uh, once you hit 40 you start to slow down and, and then uh, either quit because you're getting sick of uh, getting your ass kicked or, um, or you just accept that you know, you're old and, and you're slower than you were and, and just try and keep getting some enjoyment from the sport. But uh, I had in the back of my mind, Ironman, it's a long day, it's a massive endurance event as we know. And, uh, hey, as you get older, they reckon your endurance gets better. And I think you just get smarter too. So I, I spend a lot of my training time working on, on strength and, and in the gym and, um, and on technique as well. So I, I, my view is that, uh, you know, as you get older, obviously it, it seems that you do lose a bit of strength, you lose a bit of speed. Um, your endurance does keep improving. All the, the base miles over the years uh, means that, you know, that sort of takes care of itself with a certain amount of volume. Um, and so I just focus on the things that will give me an edge over the competition at my age. And I think for, for guys that are, um, you know, sort of mid to late 40s into 50s, yeah, if, if you're not in the gym doing weights and keeping strong and then adding, um, you know, focus on technique, keeping the, uh, you know, the, the pedalling smooth and, um, and, and your, your running technique spot on and, and obviously swimming, then, um, yeah, it's... Uh, I reckon that's the name of the game once you're an ageing uh, athlete. Nice. So we'll look forward to seeing uh, seeing you crank in Kona. Yeah, thanks, John. It'll be good to see you over there. And, uh, yeah, uh, my goal will be to see you out in the course at some stage. Not saying that I'll be anywhere near you, but uh, you seem to be in pretty good shape. And I think we've both probably uh, paced ourselves through this camp well and uh, we'll keep building from here to the big day. But... Uh, Look forward to seeing you over there. Brilliant.
Okay, on the camp we had two stellar females. Shannon Prophet's already uh, cut loose and gone, so I didn't manage to catch up with her, but she spanked pretty much all the guys except uh, one or two up every hill climb. And then at the back, or near the back, we had Lee, who was always great. So welcome along, Lee. Tell us a little bit about your camp. Um, John, I had an awesome time. Um, I'm very, very happy with how it went. I got a lot out of it, both physically and mentally, I think, um, and from it I will be a better athlete. What, what were you, You'd emailed me um, before the camp, you were a little bit worried that you were going to be the slowest and off the back, and you always had the Gruppetto there with you. I mean, what were your expectations coming into the camp? Um, expectations to get smashed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess just to push myself that little bit, little bit harder to um, train with some athletes that are obviously stronger, which in the long run is going to make me better. So expectation-wise... I don't really think I had too many other than to get smashed and get a lot of training done. Okay. Now, tell us a bit about um, yourself, where you're from and sort of your level of ability so people can get an understanding of you know, um, where you're at. Um, originally I'm from Gore. Um, I now live in New Plymouth as a, and I work as a physiotherapist at the hospital there. Um, I started doing triathlons three or four years ago um, and I... I did my first Ironman this year, I'm in New Zealand, and I got third in my age group there, um, and I also raced in Auckland 70.3, which I qualified to go to the World 70.3 Champs, which are next Sunday. Um, and what did you find hardest about the camp? Um, hardest? That's a tough one. Were any particular highlights? Highlights. Getting to Jasper, that was actually quite a tough day. The furthest I've ever biked was 210 kilometres, so Jasper was a tough day. Um, highlights, I think, included finding a beaver that was $429 <coughs> in Clinton um, and seeing bears yeah. and the sights. The scenery was amazing. And tell us about the Gruppetto. Who was in the Gruppetto and your daily activities? Gruppetto included myself and Louie, um, Dave, or Dafford, who affectionately named a lot of lakes after himself, um, and Shannon sometimes, and also Gareth. Um, we just had a laugh a lot of the time. We pushed along, but we certainly had a bit of a chance to have a look around, stop and take some photos and that type of thing. It was good. And you're racing next weekend. How are you feeling about that? Um, optimistic. Okay. Um, I don't know. It depends how I recover this next week, but just... I think from this camp, I just know that, you know, if, it, if it's tough on a day, I could just go, you know, you biked and you've done this. I even thought that on the, um, when some days that we were biking up the hills and that type of thing, you know, I was like, well, I looked at the, the course profile and went, I did that just a week ago. So, you know, I have that mental edge, hopefully, more than physical. <laughs> and for any other females out there, I mean, it's, it was reasonably tough when you got uh, 17 guys and two girls was that an, ever an issue for you, or what would you say to other females who might be considering doing the camps in future? It wasn't an issue at all. You just got to get in there and you just just get stuck in, get your training done, and and enjoy it. Be yourself, really. That's all I did. Awesome. Good luck next weekend. Um, we will be watching your progress at Montremblant. Brilliant. Thanks, John. Awesome time. It's the day after. We're going through some more post 
camp interviews. We're sitting next to a lovely fire in Calgary. I don't know why there's a fire inside an air-conditioned hotel when it's sunny outside, but there's a fire here nonetheless. And we've got David Rowe, who we talked to before the camp, uh, about what he was sort of hoping to get out of the camp and what he'd heard about it. Now we want to see if it lived up to expectations. So David, maybe uh, talk us through your camp because you were fairly strategic in the way that you approached it. <laughs> Strategic. Um, strategic means not getting caught up in the points competition. Yeah. So the, the idea of the, the camp is just to just get through to the other end. And, and people have been sending me messages saying, thank goodness, David, you actually you survived. You're alive. You are going to get to that airport and fly home. So uh, number one aim has been uh, that's been ticked off, which is good. Anything else, uh, I suppose, is a bonus. Um, my, my strategy, I had no strategy. It was just try and get through every day as it comes. Day one was tough. I, I think I pushed a little bit too hard, paid the price. We got to Whistler at the end of day one, and I was just like, I can't do this for another 11 days. I cannot do this. But day two came, and you get out of bed knowing that there's 19 or 18 other people who are doing the same as you, getting out of bed thinking they don't want to do it. But somehow you all turn up, and you do your swim, your bike, your run, go to bed, do it again, do it again, do it again. Um, come, oh, I don't know when it was. It must have been about day eight, day nine or something. Uh, we had one of the, the King of the Mountain competitions as part of one of our longer rides. And uh, I thought, okay, I actually felt reasonably well. The day before, I, I was just shattered. All I wanted to do was sleep and not ride my bike for months on end. But, you know, you had to go out the following day. Woke up that morning, got out on the bike. I think uh, that was the, the day where Melina went off the front. And uh, we went off a little bit too far off the front and missed the turning for the mountain. But as we were starting to go up the mountain, I, I pushed hard. I felt felt fairly strong um, and just sort of worked my way up the field. And I think I got a fourth. I think, yeah, I got a fourth on that day, which surprised me. Um, everyone else was pretty surprised, to be honest. Someone thought I'd been on the old EPO, been on the juice. Um, but, but no, I can't... <laughs> can't say that's true I just uh, I felt strong that day it was it, it was quite nice to uh, to show that yeah even if I spent most of the time just getting the I say the bare minimum of points just getting through each day as it comes because it's a ridiculous amount of training or certainly for me anyway um, it, it was nice to show that yeah in, in, in week two a bit of strength came in I um, I, I was able to do some of this stuff and I did quite well on one of the other climbs a, a couple of days later so in terms of your expectations, you know, you knew it was going to be hard coming in. Um, where did it fit in in terms of your expectations? About what you thought, harder, easier? Relentless. Absolutely relentless. It's, some people, I don't, I don't know how they manage to tack on. Day after day, people are putting in extra bike miles. They're doing extra 10k runs. And it's like, I can't believe they're still standing now. There's, uh, yeah, complete kudos. Hats off to them. Um, myself, yeah, it, it was tough. It's... I think if you train, you can you can kind of get through it because other people are doing the same. And the, the, the hardest thing, I think, the toughest days for me were the short days you, you, where we sort of stayed in a, in a place for two nights in a row and, and you, don't, you only have to do 60k ride that day, I say only. So you're only doing a 60k ride, but you're not going to another hotel somewhere. So you're just having to ride around, I don't know, the local streets or going off going off somewhere and that was tough but actually yesterday for example we rode 125 miles just over 200 k's to calgary that was fine six hours on the bike not a problem because you know you're going somewhere everyone else is going the same place as you you just you get on and do it even though we'd done a hour and a half run in the morning you're completely fried your legs are toast but you, you get on and do it and it felt fine and i never believed ever that a six hour bike ride would just feel normal 
and it was it was a reasonable pace as well. I think we went through we did have a little bit of tailwind and we did have a little bit of downhill, but we went through 150k. We're 150k. We're at three hours and 52 minutes. It, there, there was a there was a good pace going. It was going at a good clip. I I joined the uh, the the steam train, the express train, uh, certainly for the first 50k, and it was just I tell you the concentration, the the boys hammering it off the front. Even if you're sitting at the back, it's uh, yeah you've got to have your wits about yourself. And there, there's a lot of fantastic scenery out there. And I don't know how you boys at the front all the time took it all in. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, you'll see some of the photos I took at some point in the future when I, when I stick them all online and you'll see what some of the scenery you missed was because looking at someone's backside for 200k at 40k an hour is, uh, isn't, isn't the greatest way to see the Canadian Rockies. So David has been the most prolific photographer on the camp, so if you check out his blog, it'll be on the Epic Camp site. Um, we've got to still have all the blogs up there live from Canada, and there's uh, some good reads in there, and David's got, uh, he's probably got the best photos about everybody. Um, I guess for you, um, any particular ho- highlights or lowlights? Highlight will be sitting on the plane this evening with a glass of wine. Um, although being six foot three and a half in economy isn't uh, isn't going to be a highlight, that's for sure for an overnight flight. Um, highlight the the people. What an awesome bunch of people! You just you you're looked after all the way by the support staff, which is incredible. You just you ride your bike, you. You, you get fed and watered on the way round. You get to the end, your bag's there. You check into your room, and and everything's just done for you. All you have to do is eat, sleep, train, and and have a chat and a joke around with with kind of well, new friends. It's uh, it's fantastic, yeah. And any moments where you were really battling at any stage during the camp, like really going, holy shit, I'm not going to make it. Um, day one. Literally, the, the afternoon of day one, as we were, well, as I was crawling to, up to Whistler, I've, I've heard these stories about sort of people getting in the van, and you, yeah, I, I, I don't want to get in the van. I just want to keep cycling, and I was just, how, how can I do this for eleven more days? This is day one, and I'm just, I'm shot to bits. This is not good. And the following morning, we went out and we did an aquathlon and a six k run, which was hard work hard when you run it fast and then whatever the bike ride was I don't know 150 130k that day it's just never ending but the first day was probably the or the first day in that evening was the toughest I think yeah it's just nuts and and then you your fitness kind of catch up catches up with you a bit you you get fitter throughout the camp somehow so tell people your website because you keep it going I mean obviously we, you're blogging during the camp but you keep it going during the year tell us what it is yep it's um, r-o-w-e running.co.uk rowrunning.co.uk and what's your plans now for the rest of the year uh, plans for the rest of the year are Ironman Wales in two weeks' time, two weeks today. So uh, this uh, epic camp is either going to make or break me if I can just tick myself over without seizing up and and, and collapsing over the next uh, 13 days. Then hopefully I'll have a reasonable race in me at Wales. I hope so. Perfect. It's been fun having you here. And I know the, uh, the group Hedo enjoyed your company and uh, you spotted plenty of beers. So well done. And uh, We'll see you when we do next time. Thank you very much, John. It's been an absolute pleasure. Loved it. Brilliant. Right, we're still snuggled up next to the cosy fire. And uh, it's a nice hotel, actually. Courtyard Marriott in Calgary. You can see the airport out the window almost. Um, and in last week's podcast, I hope, I'm not having actually listened. Hopefully it came out clearly. I was trying to interview Adam Bardsley as we're walking up from... 
having dinner and he had just gone into the yellow jersey position and I'll probably sort of quote, oh yep, just going to keep it for one day, that's all it's about, you know, just want to put it on and here we are probably, I don't know, a week later and he's going home with the yellow jersey after some mental training over the last few days. So Adam, how are you feeling today? Feel okay, not too bad, yeah, pretty tired, looking forward to getting home, not really looking forward to a nine hour flight but wouldn't swap it for the world, Jombo. Didn't see you out there doing any 800s this morning? No, got them on my schedule for Friday. 21 of those bad boys. <laughs> Can't see that happening. So what, what changed for you in terms of uh, our chat on the way up from dinner that day and here we are now. What, what changed in terms of your thought processing in terms of uh, how, what the yellow jersey meant? Yeah, I guess when I got it, that was it. Wanted it. Unfortunately, nobody took it off me. For two or three days, I wasn't really trying to keep it. You know, as I said, I liked doing volume. I knew I'd come out and with just the opportunity to eat, sleep and train, I was going to do an awful lot of volume. And it just so happened that it stayed on my shoulders. And then when you get two or three days out, then you think, well, one big monster push and, you know, maybe I can keep it. I'd rather go home with it than without it. So up until the last two days, I don't really think it affected my training. Not hugely. Yeah. Um, and you tacked on a lot. Uh, was that the intention? I mean, from day one, you got you and and Gary were, were tacking on. Was was that the intention coming in? Yeah. I mean, what else is there to do? I'm out to train, so you got 12 hours. I'm going to train for most of those 12 hours. You know, I was feeling good. You know, tacking on yesterday morning at half past six or whatever the time was, trucking up and down the highway doing 60k, and I felt strong. So. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't famous last words with Kona coming up. I didn't feel like I was burying myself, yeah. but we'll see. And you seem to, despite doing all the tacking on, you seem to perform well in the KOMs as well. Yeah, I'm not sure where that comes from. I live in a part of England in the um, down south. The longest climb I've got is about a mile and a half, and it's probably 40 minutes away, so don't do it very often. Definitely not a climbing specialist. I was very surprised, actually, but... Yeah, I don't suppose I carry too much excess baggage. That might help. But yeah, not, not something that, I'm, that, I'm, um, that I train for. I do do quite a lot of big gear work on the turbo. Maybe that helps. Uh, so what was, what was the toughest part of the camp for you? 100 I am. 400 <laughs> I am, the 100 butterfly. I thought, I watched the first heat, and I saw a few people go out a little bit toasty, and I thought, no, no, no. Hundreds a long way when you can't swim fly. And believe me, I cannot swim fly. Got to 25. Thought, yeah, I'm happy with that. Turned. Got to 50. Thought, yeah, that's not so great. 75. Oh, I was struggling. And how on earth I got to the end of that, of the last 10, 15 meters of that 100, I will never know. That was the closest I came to throwing in the towel the whole camp. Yeah. And in terms of uh, personal highlights or particular highlights as you went through the camp? Yeah, I guess it's a bit of a cliche, but it's the whole thing, really. You know, I've been speaking to Gary a lot since, you know, once we've been out here, and we're just like, are we actually doing Epic Camp? That thing that we've, you know, listened to the podcast and read about and heard about, you know, are we really riding behind the freight train? You know, is this really Scott Molina telling us stories at dinner? You know, is this really John with a microphone in front of me right now? It's, yeah, I mean, it's quite surreal that, you know, for the past 10 years, it's been out there. And then finally, we've, we've kind of done it. So, so the highlight, I think, is, is Epic Camp. It's, yeah, yeah, unreal. 
So what would you say? I mean, you, know, you you started. I saw you packing up your bike before, and you were saying 2004 you were going to do a marathon, and that's it. So you know, if there's people sitting out there who are early on in their career, what do you sort of say to them if um, if they're listening to this? Yeah, I mean, I started running, and I got reasonably good. You know, ran a sub three marathon relatively quickly, and there's always the, there's always that next level, and and something you know, in the last year I've taken it up a notch, and that's mainly due to Gary. Gary got himself a coach. Gary, you know, you've heard some of his vegan facts and, you know, his opinions on people's, like, uh, abilities. And, you know, when he knocks out 928 in Roth and then wants to start going faster, and then when he qualifies at Tahoe and beats Adam Kay and, um, and Mark, um, and you just think, well, how can you do that? And uh, it just makes you realize that there is another step up. And, you know, so I hired the same coach. I've worked hard and I've, I've taken it up a level, I think. And, you know, so you've got your epic camp and then both me and Gary, fortunate enough, both qualified for Kona for the first time. So it's quite a two months, really. Quite bizarre. Two things that, you know, almost seem unattainable. But if you work hard over a long period, definitely. So what's your plan for Kona? You know, um, is it a, you, I, I'm sure you want to go as fast as you can, but in your mind, is it, is it the be-all and end-all, or are you there for sort of the honeymoon and just to lap it all up? Sub-Buddha. <laughs> Got to take down Gary. Um, yeah, I've not beaten Gary since Lanzarote 2009. So that's obviously, you know, we have been smack-talking for quite a while about um, the big hit-out. But it doesn't feel as if I do have any real goals time-wise might be feel different when I get there, but at the moment it's like, wow, I'm going to Kona. I want to see the underpants run. I want to do all that stuff. I want to lap it up, and you know, I want to get around and, and have fun. That said, it's a race. You know, when it starts, obviously, ho- hopefully, this has given my fitness a, a big boost. So I've got you know six weeks to to build on that. But Curly Freight Train says 9:47 is the gold standard. That's not happening. <laughs> 9.47. Awesome. Okay. Um, we'll look forward to seeing you in Kona. We, uh, yeah, we'll have to have a bit of a, when Bevan gets here, have a bit of a catch-up and see how everybody's faring before the race and post-race. So nice work on the yellow jersey, and um, thanks for coming. Thanks ever so much. It's been a blast. So as you will have heard from some of the campers, uh, Yesterday we had a pretty steamy ride into town. Um, it was pretty pretty quick going, and one of those people who was steaming on the front is Barry Breffel. He's actually not supposed to be sitting next to me. He's supposed to be on a plane, um, but he is the second person this morning who has managed to not quite get things right at the airport. So welcome along, Barry. And I can't remember if we caught up before the camp or not. Yeah, we did briefly. Yeah. So tell us about your camp experience because, um, like some of the guys I've talked to this morning, you're you know, you've been following the podcast and everything for quite a while, um, and it, uh, and for you it was probably a different experience as well, having your wife Michelle here as well. Yeah, well, it was, uh, you know, pretty close to what I expected, but everything kind of exceeded expectations the, the whole way along. You know, the scenery was amazing, the the training was, was great, the riding was great, the open water swim venues were unbelievable. Um, and then having Michelle along to do support, so it turned out to be quite an adventure that we, that we shared yeah. as well. And what were your tactics going in? Because um, you, you know you, you're, you're strong all round, and and the races you were certainly one of the fastest here. But did you have any particular tactics, and did you did did it end out 
panning out the way you wanted it to in terms of your sort of day-by-day performances? Yeah, it was decidedly um, going to play conservative coming in. I didn't want to get caught up on the on the points competition and, and the tack-ons and, and grind myself into the ground. But So what I wanted to do is, you know, camp completion was a big goal, and then I wanted to be able to uh, lift the intensity for, you know, the events that, that the aquathon and the triathlon and, uh, you know, some of the swim, swim events. Did some of the bonus swim stuff because we were swimming anyway. But uh, didn't want to get too sidetracked with just trying to keep going and going and going and, and end up burning myself into the ground. Mm. I've got Ironman Chattanooga four weeks after camp. So that was my big concern is being able to recover properly and, and then go into that and have a strong race and qualify for Kona. And you, you're looking a little tired a couple of days ago. I mean, how have you found the last couple of days of camp? Um, it, it, you know, I think for me, the way I played it, and this, this worked out to be a, a good time frame. I was getting towards the end of my rope the last you know, few days. It was getting hard to get up, get moving in the morning, and uh, get back on the bike. Um, but as you mentioned in the, in the lead-in here, I did feel pretty good the last day and, and was able to push some watts on the bike and, and have a kind of decent finish with, with the realization that there was, you know, nothing to save it for, nothing to hold back for, so to kind of push, push the last bit on the last day. What we, I, I was um, trying to keep things together at the back of the pack once we actually hit the main highway yesterday. What numbers were you hitting when we were going on there? Because we were fair moving. Um, I, I was kind of my goal was to you know push Ironman to half Ironman watts um, numbers wise you know 230 to I you know I would see 300 on some of the climbs um, pushing hard it was, it was a beautiful ride we a nice tailwind and uh, we, we were moving along quite quickly um, and what was the toughest thing on the camp for you um, I, I guess probably the toughest thing was was actually the 400 IM. I managed to, uh, you know, I've, I've swum that before and, and, and I don't know if it was a combination, a little bit of altitude. I think we were a little high that day and, and I buried myself on the, on the last length of the fly and I think it took me the entire 100, 100 back to, to just to regain my composure. Um, yeah, that would be it. And uh, any particular highlights? I think some of the probably Sentinel Pass trail run was one of the highlights. Yeah, getting up high in the in the mountains and uh, yeah, that was a highlight for me. Nice. Well, you now get to spend a, a day relaxing with your lovely wife, um, which is going to be. I know you were stressed about before, but probably everything's got a silver lining. So uh, enjoy your, your nice relaxing day off, and we'll look forward to following you on uh, at Ironman Chattanooga and if you want to Barry took a lot of photos um, on Facebook um, we might I'll probably be stealing a lot of them for epicamp.com as well um, but thanks for your time Barry hey, you bet thanks John it's a wonderful trip just grab one more person before they're running off the airport JB um, from you can tell us all about yourself and give Bevan some facts some facts well I'm from originally from Vancouver so this is a return home for me but uh, I've lived in uh, Arizona for the last 12 years. Uh, yeah, Bevan, you know, love your work, but it's Canada, not Canada. <laughs> um, I'm going to get a shirt made up for you, maybe. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's about me. I've been in triathlon since, I don't know, 2004, 2005. 
and uh, 44 years old now. I'm just starting to get a little more serious about uh, about doing well and trying to qualify for Kona. So, For you, uh, a lot of people looked at you and thought you were out on your feet on a number of days, but you managed to keep going and started performing really well in the KOMs despite looking like you're about to pass out. Uh, how did you feel each day as you were going through, you, given you are not one of, the, on paper, not one of the faster athletes here? Yeah, no, I felt, mood-wise, I just felt great every day. I know it, at the end of the day, I mean, you're just wiped, but that's because you put, you know, everything into the day. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just woke up and, and always, or the, the night before, I thought I'd be shattered, and then you get up and you just do it again. I mean, the last couple of... Uh, runs you took us up some mountains but uh and not just that that kind of wiped me but uh you know we're always up to go do five or six hour bike rides and jump into frigid waters and yeah. it's kind of crazy i mean you whatever you guys asked us to do we just did it and i mean no like, like lou said nobody got into the van and everybody completed i think so i mean it's, it was great awesome i know you got a flight to catch so um we will see you when we do soon yeah sounds good john thanks a lot in the hot seat, a uh, friend of the show who you will have heard his name mentioned very regularly, Gary Fegan. Welcome along. Good afternoon. <laughs> yeah. So Gary, um, it sounds like it was a bit of a, a not a lifelong ambition to do this camp, but it's been in here for a number of years for you. Was it uh, everything you hoped for and more? I I think so. Uh, I, what what was really strange is how absorbed you become in the camp. Uh, that that was what really struck me, that everything is blocked out. You don't think about home, you don't think about work, you don't think about anything apart from what am I doing in two minutes' time <laughs> or, or when am I finishing, and that's it. And it's not until maybe one one or two days before the camp finishes that you actually start thinking there's a, another world out there that you've got to go back to. So uh, that's been the real sort of shock for me. I don't know if I was the only one, but yesterday we had a, a really slow roll into Calgary. It was about 30 k's to get around one side to the other and lots of sets of traffic lights, and we were going about 25 k's an hour or so. I, I seem to be starting to reminisce on the camp at that stage. I don't know if anybody else was. I mean, we were just talking about it earlier on, that thinking back to the first swim where we're in a 137-metre pool feels like you're thinking about holiday you know, from two years ago, not something that only happened 12 days ago. And even when you're trying to write the blog, you're, you're thinking, what did I actually do at six this morning? I can't remember. So everything already feels like it's a distant memory rather than something really fresh. Yeah. And what's this camp? Yeah, what, what was your big objective to come to this camp and why were you here? Well, I think I wanted to be part of the experience uh, firsthand rather than just listen to it. So that objective was met. I wanted to push myself as far as I could well, go without breaking. And I think I pretty much got as close to that without the, the motivation of the yellow jersey, you know, to, to, to push me a bit further. So I got to the point that I was lying in bed, awake again, ticking off all the overtraining syndrome things that you read about and going, yeah, can't sleep, got that. Viral infection, yeah, I've got that. Uh, eating crap, I, I just had uh, apple crumble and, and ice cream for breakfast, yeah, got that. Yeah, you know, every one of them, tick, 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 tick. So you're, you're, you're right on the edge of putting yourself in a big hole. And then we had a bloody food thief on the camp. So Melina came and stole my final half bar of Ems Power Cookies uh, on the last day, which I'd been saving up for the bike ride when I was out running, and he came and thieved things off you as well. 
Well, I, I had built up a stash in preparation for maybe getting out of bed at 4.30 with Adam on, this, on the, the last day for, for Yellow. So I had three Snickers bars, I had gels, everything. I, I had the stash. And I come back in after a run or something, and Melina says, are those your Snickers bars? And I was like, yeah. Well, you won't be needing those. <laughs> so he basically taxed me. He robbed, robbed the Snickers and left me with the gels. Yeah. Um, what would you say to people out there, you know... Um, you, you've been called on this camp mildly unathletic uh, looking. Um, what do you say to maybe the guys that are, I don't know, sort of starting to break through the 11 hour barrier and they sort of maybe have epic camp on their mind um, and how have you progressed to getting down to a level where you're getting I think, second in your age group in Tahoe? I, I think um, you know you you know if you're, you're good enough for epic camp because you've got to have that, I've just just get on and do, deal with it. So if you're, one, if you're someone who's likely to bail, then don't come to Epic Camp. If you're someone who'll just get on with it and push through, then you'll, you'll do fine. And I, and I think that's the same with training generally. generally you wanna, if you're going to get to that sort of corner qualification, you've got to be able to just keep going, keep going all the time and sacrifice some of the, the other things, you know. Um, and, and I think most people are of that ability if they push themselves hard enough. It's, I don't think it's genetic. It's just a... You need to want to do it. That's it, you know. Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to put the hours in? Are you willing to give up on a family holiday to go in a training camp? Or, or and are the people around you also willing to give up on that time as well? That support is needed as well. Yeah, we we may have a new feature coming up in the show. We're just uh, going to decide if Fegan's facts are going to roll, and we won't talk about that now because. Uh, you want to be a bit fresher and clearer in the mind before we start saying some things. Um, in it for you, any particular highlights of the camp? I always thought there would be a really good camaraderie in, in the camp, and, and that has happened. For the first couple of days, you've got a mixture of newbies and people who have been here before, and you kind of feel a bit intimidated. So I was really lucky to have uh, Adam and David, and we probably intimidated people who were just here on their own, you know, sitting going, who do I speak to? But really, really quickly because you're kind of rolling through the packs and you're chatting to people, and some days you're up, some days you're down, so you're mixing it with different people, you really get a, a strong uh, bond. And, uh, you know, people like Petro, Zach, uh, Rob, you know, you, know you, you feel like you've known them for years by the end of the camp, and that, that, that's fantastic. And, and because you've all gone through the same hell, um, you have that shared experience that whilst you listen to it and you think, oh, that sounds great, you just, you, unless you've done it, you just don't know what it's like, you know. Uh, and tell us about your website if people want to come and read all your blogs and uh, Adam's blogs and David's blogs and, uh, and maybe tell us what you've got coming up on there as well. So we've got our website, buccaneertry.com. We've got all the epic blogs on there. We've got interviews from, like, uh, well, Lucy Gossage is coming up very soon. We've got a uh, swim article from Brett Sutton. We've got uh, stuff on power, aero, and uh, just a whole raft of stuff. So it's a it's kind of cross between our own sort of blogs and trying to get interviews with other people. So Lucy Gossage is going down, <laughs> and she, she's going to hump you in the corner, especially after. I hope she doesn't hump me when my wife's around. <laughs> yeah, we, we've seen your new one six five cranks are not very good for climbing, John. We're gonna have to get them changed. I know that. Um, or was I just going to ask you, in, in terms of Kona for you, what's your um, what's your expectations there? Uh, to finish would be good. Kona uh, for me is just a finale, so it's probably going to be my last serious Ironman, uh, and I just want to get round it. Obviously, 
there's a competitive edge between Adam and I. So um, if he does beat me, which is on form looks like it might happen, I, I don't want to beat the gap to be too big. As long as he's not got too much time uh, at the end to uh, or to get me a hot dog and a beer, then I'm, I'll be happy. But I'm probably going to take him down anyway. You know, got to give him a bit of smack. Excellent. It was fun having you guys here, and um, thanks for all your contributions to the show over the many years. No, thank you. It's been amazing. Thank you. Sponsor Jombo, we've got Athlinks.com. Athlinks.com. And I know that a number of the athletes uh, on the camp, when, you know, when they come along, they want to suss each other out. That's and right. uh, yeah. and it's, it's, it's interesting because ability does not always equal or, or perceived ability does not always no, equal what people's speed is at the races. And there's a few people eyeing each other up on the camp going, man, this dude is either fast or this dude doesn't look like he's much of an athlete. Um, I might just go and check him out on Athlinks. And so, you know, uh, it's a wonderful resource to try to figure people out because sometimes – as I said, when you go out training with someone, you're going, this guy should be a bloody professional athlete. He is just crushing us. Um, or you might go, how the hell is this guy even eligible for the camp? He must be crap and he's going slow. But you go into Athlinks and you find out the real deal. Well, the so nice I thing about it as well is that some people have a tendency to exaggerate numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I really want to say sub nine instead yeah. of just overnight. Yeah. <laughs> and if you've got an Athlinks tool in front of you, nah, there's no fudging of the numbers there. There's no fudging in the numbers. So I chucked, I just been on here now on Athlinks and chucked in Glenn Olsen, who was one of our Uber athletes on the camp. He was a big unit and he just got on the front on the bike a couple of times and absolutely crushed it. And I can go through and suss out all his results. He's got 30, 36 results on there. He's got his uh, 10K PB of 41 minutes, his 5K of 20 minutes, and he's done Eagle Man. And I can go through and suss him out. And then I'm sure Barry Breffel's going to be on here as well I'm going to chuck him in there and then I can go yep Barry Breffel from Cedar Rapids Idaho 83 races in there wow I can go and suss out 17.29 for 5k yeah so you can basically go in and check people out so if you're ever going on a camp and you see the camp list and you want to sort of see where you are in the pecking order, you go on here, just plug their names in there. If they're Athlinks members, you'll get all their results. Even if they're not Athlinks members, it'll bring up quite a few results that, that somebody may not have claimed. So it's a, just a great resource for sussing out who you're going to be up against on training camps like Epic Camp. And that's where you can just kind of play your game a bit wisely mm-hmm. so it doesn't come to the last morning when you're up at four in the morning. There <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we go, guys. com. Check it out. It's a, such a great resource for your the records of your athletic career. Okay, Jombo. Um, what's your gossip? Haven't you heard? Um, all my gossip has just been epic camp stuff. Um, what's been it? I actually got really bad injured. I got like a really bad back injury. I was um, at our gym that your wife goes to. Um, they have we've got a stage. You know, I'm standing up in front of people, and there was a hole in the stage in the floor. And it's oh, no. admittedly it's been there for like four months. And like you email them every couple of weeks saying, "What's what's the hole in the stage? You know, can you sort it out?" And um, and what's happened is just basically because instructors sweat so much, the, the flooring got kind of rotted, and apparently the pump instructors dropped the weights, which created holes in the stage, which is you know fair enough. But four months to fix it's probably not that you know. And I think they were trying to do temporary fixes because they're trying to do a big replacement sometime soon. So they're kind of doing these half-assed temporary replacements. So I'm doing this tuck jump, and you know when I when I do like when I teach a class, I kill myself. I don't kind of leave anything in the tank. Did this tuck jump and landed. And put my bloody back out, and mm. uh, and seriously, I was crippled. Like one night, I went to go to the toilet, 
and I went to pick something up and I couldn't actually stand back up. Like I was in so much pain. And uh, and it was one of the, you know, sometimes you get it, you know, like we, we all get injured as part of kind of pushing your body. But sometimes you get an injury where you go, far out, this is the end of me. You know, like you kind of, yeah. and, and like I seriously thought, wow, this this could be the end of my career kind of injury. And, uh, but luckily I, I took three weeks off work and I've um, been really wise and, and actually I'm kind of back to a good place now, but it was pretty scary. Very good. It's not. It's not very good. I was going to say. I was saying it's very good at you making some sort of recovery. Yeah. That's no good. You were uh, you were missed on the camp. People were going. Why, why is Bevan not here? I said. Well, it's just. I wouldn't have to shop. That's why. <laughs> yeah. I would hate to think I would go on an epic camp nowadays, especially because when I went on a camp, I always expected to be one of the best guys, and um, and I know that the last camp I did, it would be I had given up Ironman at that stage. I think I kind of was just doing it just for a bit of fun and I was no longer of that top end and I really struggled mentally not being one of the one of the guys my ego kind of struggled with that and if I went on this camp I'd be spat out the back straight away so definitely kind of do my head in the other mm. probably piece of news that to let people know about is the book got delayed so oh god do, do you know why bloody do, talk it up do you know why, do you know why it got delayed let us down do you know why it got why? delayed too, too many pre-orders well, yeah, that was the problem. No, the, the reason was uh, in New Zealand, uh, we've got our elections coming up in the next few weeks, and there's been this book come out called Dirty Politics, which has really shook up the elections in New Zealand. Well, my publisher is the publisher that published the book Dirty Politics, and they've just been swamped like with just work. So they said, look, it's probably not a wise time to bring out your book. Let's delay it a few weeks so that you, right. get, you get some attention. So my book's coming out. What's the official date? Let me have a look here. Um, on the 15th of September, so I'll let you guys know about it, and, and you will be able to get it overseas, and, and there will be an ebook version of it if you are looking to get it that way. So I'll let you know about that. Other than that, Jonbo, we went to the casino last weekend. Nice. And uh, pretty poor effort. Yeah. Didn't win at all. Yeah, it was a bit of a downer. <sighs> and the band's going well. It's about Good. it, really. Yep, it's yep. about it. Yep. Good. Nice. And yourself, what do you, what do you got planned for life now that you're back? So I've got five and a half weeks of Kona, so it's uh, it's all on like Donkey Kong. Got to just go pick up the kids after school, going off to Hamnet. Phil and I are taking our kids all off to Hamnet this weekend. That's, that's the payback, is it? It's payback. We go away for three weeks or two and a half weeks. Yeah, we'll take it two days. Away for two days. <laughs> Deal. Sign here, please. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just going to be a pretty simple life for the next few weeks. You know, only here for another 26 days. And then so I'm what, a pretty easy again. week this week and then back into it? Yeah, feeling very, very fresh coming out of the camp, actually. Um, surprisingly so, and was extremely strong towards the end. Uh, so camp went perfectly for me. So, yeah, just have to be careful this week not to overdo it. Just easy training and then back into it next week. And, yeah, all on target. Got exactly what I wanted out of the camp. Nice and fit, fresh. Ready to go. And, and body's good? No injuries or anything like that? No dramas. Got my uh, booked in my massage on the way back from the airport with John Ellis at Muscles Inc. in there on Thursday to sort me out. But yeah, no, nah, it's all looking good. Oh, good stuff. I get him. So John will be back in the studio next week. So we'll be back to normal. Do we need to do another sponsor? Yeah, we'll just quickly do Extreme Endurance because that is one of the reasons why I'm so fresh and I know Phil was mentioning it to a couple of other athletes uh, in the last couple of days saying I haven't had sore legs all, all the whole time been on the camp um, and I really firmly believe that combination for me of taking the Extreme Endurance and the Immune Boost was one of the reasons why I managed to stay healthy through the camp and certainly going to be keep cranking that all the way through to Kona. It's got some, uh, some good zinc in it, the old um, Immune Boost, so it keeps me healthy and really reduces that, that soreness in the legs and 
and I know from a num- Phil and a number of guys on the camps, uh, it was one of their big survival mechanisms was to be taking that on a daily basis. Keeps them healthy and keeps them less sore. So check it out. Um, user code, promo code IMTALK5 if you go to the .com site and you get yourself sorted. Any Kiwis or Aussies, get in touch with me and we can get you hooked up. So check it out, Extreme Endurance. And ultimately you trained better because of that, hey? Oh, yeah, you get the consistency and... Um, and you know, on this camp, it wasn't necessarily a case of going harder very often because we did have some races, but it was more a case of being able to get up the next day and be able to go again. And so there's still that fatigue there, but just not that the doms that you get, you know, when you go and do some some hard workouts. So uh, yeah, save my bacon. Save my bacon. Okay, guys, well that's uh, xendurance.com. Check it out. Get on it and look to save your own bacon. Okay, Jonbo, so once again, we'll be back in the studios next week. It's um, back to normal and kind of some normal shows. We'll have lots of wraps up on everything we've missed up on, missed out on in the last few weeks. And uh, let's wrap it up, Jonbo. I'm Russ. I'm Mando. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kia kaha.